you would turn with me in your Bible to Mark 5. I'm going to be reading verses 21 through 43. Mark 5, 21 through 43. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that when she, so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for twelve years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, If I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher any more? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was twelve years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this. He told them to give her something to eat. Thank you, Scott. Let's pray together. Father, we stand before your word. At least I do. Um, with expectation that you would do uh, amazing, miraculous things in our hearts. Lord, I ask, based on this passage and this glimpse at Jesus and his character as the exact representation of who you are and your character, that anyone who is here today who feels desperate and even hopeless would see in Jesus Christ sure hope, concrete, definite hope, and that it would be encouraging in real and deep ways. And I ask that anyone who is here who is in need of healing of any sort, 
would feel full confidence to go to Jesus Christ for healing like these two individuals in this passage and that you would be gracious and merciful to them and that they would receive the healing they seek. But above all that, I ask that you would call us to you and enable us to have faith in Jesus Christ. Real faith, saving faith. Enable us to entrust ourselves to Jesus Christ. To entrust our minds, our souls, our bodies, our emotions, our finances, our families, our work, our household, everything into your hands through Jesus Christ. Please open our ears and our eyes and our hearts to your word now and please help me to serve your people well. Help me to proclaim what needs to be proclaimed and explain what needs to be explained and to, to be a good servant that brings you glory and is helpful to your people. We ask all these things with confidence in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. It always gives me so much more confidence when we pray before I begin. Um, a couple of quick notes. How you pronounce J-A-I-R-U-S, I have always pronounced it Jairus. And then as I heard Scott read it and he pronounced it differently than me, I happened to have my phone sitting there because my watch band broke, so I needed it for time. I quickly Googled, how do you pronounce this name? And apparently the correct pronunciation is Jairus. So I'm going to try to say Jairus throughout the sermon, but I'll probably flop back and forth because I've always thought of it as Jairus. How, how many of you have said Jairus in your minds when you've read this name? Have any of you said Jairus? Okay. Okay, Matt says Jairus, I'm going with Jairus. Matt Larkin is far more educated and intelligent than I am. So we're going Jairus. <laughs> this is not an audience participation part of the service. So we're moving through Mark and we're moving through chapter 5. And we take a passage at a time. Each Sunday we take a new passage. But I realize that's sort of like watching a movie one scene at a time. Watching one scene and then putting it away and the next week coming, watching the next scene. And it can, it can be hard to put it together in the full context of what's going on when you just take one passage at a time. So I really think, especially to understand this passage... We need to look at it in light of the previous four and a half chapters that we've covered. So I'll give you a brief um, recap of where we've been. It's sort of like at the beginning of a TV show previously on Mark and shows what happened. The main things that you need to remember that have happened so far in Mark is that Jesus uh, is beginning his public ministry... He's going around teaching and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And he's telling everybody, repent, the kingdom is at hand. You need to turn from your sins and your selfishness and this world and follow me, Jesus. As he's going and teaching, crowds and crowds of people are starting to swarm around him. And as we've moved along, we've seen lots of different types of people. We've seen um, crowds of, of uh, people who just want to see what's going on. Because as he teaches, he'll encounter sick people that he heals and demonized people, demon-possessed people that he frees. And this is crazy. This is big news. 
So word is spreading fast, not about his message and what he's teaching, but about the fact that he's healing people and he's freeing demon-possessed people. So hordes of people are coming out. Crowds and crowds of people are coming to either be healed, be freed, or just see what's going on. So many people, in fact, that Jesus is getting crushed. He has to get into a boat and go off into the sea a little bit and teach from the boat so that all these people won't crush him to death. Uh, You see him silencing people that he heals saying, don't tell anybody because I don't want people clogging up my ministry who just want to come and see the spectacle or who just want to come and be healed or freed from demons. I have a larger purpose and it's to proclaim the kingdom of God and to march toward the cross. Okay, so we're still kind of in the beginning of his ministry. The crowds are crazy, swarming all around him. Everywhere he goes, he can't escape the crowds. Many in the crowds are desperate, desperate people longing for healing, physical healing, or to be freed from unclean spirits. And in this passage, we run into two specific desperate people, Jairus and a woman who has had a bleeding condition for 12 years. Okay, Jairus is desperate because his little girl, who turns out he's 12, she's 12, is dying. And any of you fathers know your little girl is always your little girl, even when in this society at age 12, you're pretty much an adult, but it's his little girl is dying. So he's desperate. This woman has exhausted every medical means she can find to cure her bleeding and nothing has worked. Um, She's just continued to suffer. So she's desperate. Okay. Now, some of you may be here and you may also be desperate and I'm glad you're here. If you're desperate for whatever it may be, maybe you've had chronic pain, discomfort, um, severe financial issues, um, severe family relational issues, severe emotional stress issues. Um, It's good that you're here. This is a good passage for you if you're a desperate person or if you know a desperate person that you're praying for. What I want to do, there's so much we could talk about in these verses. All I really want to do is hold Jesus up. To you and remind those of you who know Jesus of who he is and his character and invite those of you who may not really know Jesus. You may know about him, but invite you who don't know Jesus to come to know Jesus. Okay, so that's really my one goal. And here's the big idea. Jesus is powerful and compassionate, but sometimes He has painful purposes. Jesus is powerful and he's compassionate, but sometimes he has purposes that include us having to experience pain. So there's your big idea for the, for the sermon. So let's look at his power in this passage. Look back at verses 22 and 23. Then right after he gets off the boat, if you were here last week, he had just taken a boat across the sea to get away from the crowds. And right, right once he stepped off the boat on that side of the sea, a crazy demon-possessed man ran up to him and he had to free him from the demon. Now the, and then the town kicked him out and now he's back on the other side where he started. Now as soon as he steps off the boat, and ver- we'll start in verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him. And he was beside the sea. The crowd is back. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. 
And seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. The main thing I want you to notice from this right now is that Jairus is an important man. He is one of the rulers of the synagogue. He is a man of dignity and of class and stature. Jesus is a carpenter from the middle of nowhere. Yet Jairus runs to him and falls at his feet and begs and implores Jesus. Now to those standing around, this must have seemed like an odd event to be happening. But I pointed out to you to point out the fact that all through Mark, we keep seeing Jesus in, in this state of absolute authority over whoever's around him. We talked a lot about that last week. We've talked about it since we began Mark. Remember at the very beginning of Mark, John the Baptist, he was a big deal. He was out preaching and baptizing people and, and hordes were coming out to him. And he said, and I quote, After me comes one who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. Such respect for Jesus Christ. He walks along and he sees some fishermen out in a boat and he says, hey, y'all follow me. And they just do. (laughs) They leave their boat, their net, their father, their business and just follow him. There's something about Jesus that's different from any other man who has ever lived. And it has to do with his authority. You see him teaching in the synagogue and the congregation is blown away. And it's not because he's so eloquent or dynamic or clever. It's because of his authority. People respond to Jesus as though he's the son of God himself. And of course, we know that that is true. Jairus runs, is dignified. The closest thing to him would be uh, the most dignified and respected pastor you know. I was going to say me, but I may not be the most dignified and respected pastor you know. You probably have somebody else in mind. Maybe uh, some of you um, older folks. I was trying to think of a better way to say older, but the pastor that that, uh, performed your wedding ceremony or baptized you, you know, somebody you have a great deal of respect for. Picture them running and falling to their knees at Jesus' feet, begging him. That's what this scene looked like. Okay, next I want to point you to his interaction with the woman with the chronic bleeding condition. So we'll go down and start at verse 25. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. What a frustrating predicament to be in. And some of you have been in similar predicaments, are in similar predicaments, know people in similar predicaments. Nothing's working. Now, you need to know also her condition is a bleeding condition, which in this society would not only have made her sick, but made her unclean so that she was not able to be in regular society. She had to be off isolated by herself. She wasn't supposed to be in that crowd because whoever she touched would then also be made unclean and they'd have to go be cleaned and purified. So not only is she sick, she doesn't feel good, but she's also living a life of, of isolation 
and loneliness and hopelessness. She had heard reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. Now, I think in some of the other gospels, it makes clear that she touched the hem of his garment, the bottom part. So she must have also been down on her knees in this crowd. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately, she just touched his garment and immediately the condition that 12 years of hard, diligent work trying to be cured from, from all sorts of different physicians and doctors, immediately was cured. Now, I don't have a scientific explanation for that. It was miraculous. Immediately cured. Jesus can do that. He is powerful. It's not hard for him to cure something that no doctor can cure. That's not something that's difficult for Jesus. Last, let's look at the little girl. We'll, we'll go down and read verses 35 through 42 again. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who, who said to Jairus, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with them and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. The little girl really was dead. He said, why are you upset? She's just sleeping because for him, it's as easy to raise a little girl from the dead as it is for you to get your child up out of bed in the morning. If she wasn't really dead, why would the people have been overcome with amazement? It's not that amazing. I mean, even the hardest sleeping child, it's not that amazing to wake them up that everybody in the room is overcome with amazement. She truly was dead. And Jesus raised her from the, took her by the hand and said, Talitha Kumi, which from my research, I think it means more than just little girl. I say to you, arise. It's, it's a uh, very affectionate way to talk to a little girl. It's what you say to your little girl when you're trying to wake her up in the morning and she's all adorable. And, and if she's like Lily and sweaty and hair everywhere and you say, sweetheart, it's time to get up. It's that gentle. That's how he talked to her. It's time to get up and took her by the hand and she got up. That wasn't difficult for Jesus. He wasn't like perspiring and he just went in there and got her up. Jesus is powerful. Jesus is powerful. You know, our desperate circumstances are no match for Jesus Christ. He could very easily bring healing, bring resurrection, bring a change, bring a provision very easily. 
And not only is he powerful, he's compassionate. So let's comb back through and look at his compassion in this passage. So with Jairus, Jairus was was probably a Pharisee or at least in league with Pharisees. Now, if you're familiar with the Gospels, you know that Jesus and the Pharisees did not get along. And it wasn't Jesus' fault. It was the Pharisees' pride. The Pharisees hated Jesus. He was stealing their thunder. He was pointing out their hypocrisy. Those weren't groups that they didn't use. They didn't hang out. And that's where Jairus came from. Jesus didn't see how he dressed and see that this is probably an enemy of mine and dismiss him. He went with them. Verse 24 just says simply, after Jairus is begging and pleading, it just says, and he went with them. And the great crowd followed. Even while we're yet enemies, Jesus dies for us. Sometimes we can think, before I can access Jesus' power and compassion, I need to get on his good side. I need to ingratiate him somehow. But that's not how it works. His power and compassion come first. This woman, unclean, you know, the religious people would have gone to great lengths to stay away from an unclean woman. But Jesus didn't. He sought her out, even though she was unclean, desperate. You know, sometimes we think that we need to clean ourselves up before we can access Jesus' power and compassion. We need to put a little distance between us and that sin that we've been struggling with. You know the sins that you struggle with and you pick yourself up by your bootstraps and you do better for a little bit and then you lapse again. And right after that lapse, you feel like, well, I can't go to the Lord in prayer right now. I need to, I need to wait a little bit. I need to listen to some Christian music and read some Bible verses and give some money and do some good deeds to wash off this uncleanness and then I'll go to Jesus. But no, he's compassionate while we're enemies, while we're unclean. He's compassionate. He moves towards us. This little girl could do nothing to earn Jesus' compassion. She was dead. She could do no religious deeds that won Jesus' approval, and therefore he decided to be powerful and compassionate toward her. She was a corpse. Now, spiritually speaking, that's what the Bible teaches that we are. Before Christ, we're spiritually dead. And yet Jesus is powerful and compassionate for us. Jesus is powerful and Jesus is compassionate. I need you to fasten those two things down as foundational uh, blocks of knowledge for your life. He's powerful. He's compassionate. He can and often he will. He can and he cares. Yet... And here we get to the meat, I believe, of this passage. Yet, even though he's powerful and compassionate, he often allows painful things to happen to us. Even though he's powerful and compassionate, he often has purposes that require pain. We see that in two ways in this passage. And then all over the place outside of this passage. But number one... He allowed Jairus to stand there and wait while his little girl was near death. 
So picture the scene again. The crowds are crazy. They're crushing around Jesus. And Jairus is there at his feet begging and pleading. And Jesus says, okay, let's go. We'll go. I'll heal your daughter. And they're walking through the crowds. And Jesus suddenly stops. Nobody else saw the woman touch him, touch the garment. And Jesus stops and turns around and says, somebody touch me. And the disciples are like, what do you mean somebody touch you? Everybody's touching you. You've got hundreds of people on your head. Everybody's touching you. And Jesus says, no, this is different. Someone touched me and I felt power go out for me. That's what he says. Verse 30, and Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Meanwhile, that's a very touching scene for the woman. But meanwhile, Jairus is there thinking, my daughter is dying. She has an acute condition that is going to kill her. This woman has a chronic condition that she's lived with for 12 years. She'll be okay until after you go heal my daughter. Yet Jesus just seems so casual. Who touched me? Wait a minute, Jairus. Which one of you did it? There's hundreds of people all screaming everywhere. It shows no indication that he's willing to move forward until he figures out who it was. And then carries on a conversation with the lady as if he's got time. Jesus seemed like he had time. Jairus seemed like he had no time. Jairus was certainly frantic, anxious, heart pounding. Jesus was calm patient and took time to talk to this woman. Now imagine that you're in the ER. Okay. And you run into the ER with your daughter who's struggling to breathe, dying. The doctor comes out and says, Oh, okay, let's go take care of her. And then there's this elderly woman there who's there again for the same problem that she's had for 12 years reading a magazine. And the doctor says, wait a minute, let me tend to this woman. And stops and takes the woman back first, takes care of the woman, brings her out. And then the daughter is dead. The little girl is dead. That, that doctor would be sued. He, there'd be malpractice. This is not a normal thing. So he makes J- Jairus wait. He allows him to wait. And then he even allows his very worst fears to come true. Verse 35, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Some of the preachers I read while preparing for this thought that might have been a sarcastic remark. Your daughter's already dead. Why bother the great teacher anymore? He couldn't be bothered to come and take care of your daughter. Your daughter is dead. Jesus allowed this man to sweat and wait in his anxiety and his fear, and then he allowed his worst fears to be realized. Why? So I've been searching Mark, mainly the passages that we've covered up to now, for clues as to why he would have allowed this to happen. And I'm just going to lay them out for you. I have 12 of them. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on any of them, but I'm just going to lay them out for you. Because... The reason why is the, is the main thing I want you to walk out of here with. Clue number one, 
When Jesus began his ministry in Mark chapter 1, verse 14, he did so by proclaiming, not by healing. When Jesus began his ministry, he began it proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. He didn't begin his ministry healing and helping the desperate. He began by proclaiming the gospel. The time is here. Repent and turn. Clue number two. As you read these first chapters, you see Jesus traveling around in order to preach in new places. But you never see him really going out of his way to heal people. Even though he knows there's desperate people in need of healing all over. Clue number three. We talked about this one when we went through it. But in Mark 1 verses 32 through 34. This is after his fame has really started to spread. He's cast out a demon and healed somebody. And it says that evening at sundown. They, the people of the city, brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. All. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. They brought all to him. He healed some of them. He didn't heal all of them. He could have. Yet he didn't. Instead, he withdrew from the crowds, and then in verse 138, his disciples came and said, everybody's looking for you. And he said, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. He could have easily set up the Jesus Christ urgent care right there and just for the rest of his life healed and healed and healed and free demon-possessed people 12 hours a day. And then how does that work for nurses? like three 12-hour days and he'd take a couple of days off or something. He could have had that schedule. Nobody would have crucified him. Lots of people would have been healed. He didn't. He said, we've got to move on because I came to preach. I forget what number I'm on, but another clue, he often silenced those he healed. You know, in marketing, I, I really like marketing. Uh, that's kind of the world I came from. In marketing, you really want good word of mouth. If you can get good word of mouth momentum, then you're really, you're really doing well. Jesus had instant word of mouth for his healing ministry and he kept trying to squash it and silence it. He kept saying, don't tell anybody. I don't want this to be all about healing. Another clue, the incident with the paralytic, you know, who has four friends who bust open the roof because of the crowds and lower the paralytic down to Jesus. It says there in chapter two, verse five, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Well, that's not why they dropped him down the hole. They dropped him down the hole in the ceiling so he could be healed. And Jesus marveled at their faith and he loved them and but he instead chose to forgive his sins. He does later heal the paralytic, but just to prove a point to the religious people. But I think if the religious people in that passage hadn't come and started fussing about him saying, your sins are forgiven, I don't even know if he would have healed the paralytic. I mean, he might have, we don't know. He may not have even healed the paralytic. He may have just forgiven his sins. Another clue, chapter two, verse 17 
There's where Jesus is reclining at a table with a bunch of tax collectors and sinners, the hated people. Okay, sinners probably were like prostitutes and things like that, and IRS agents, tax collectors. And the religious people came and they said, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And in verse 17, when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. See, I think he knows that most of the commotion about him has to do with him healing the sick. And I think what he's saying is, I did come to heal the truly sick, which is the sinners. That's who I came to heal. I didn't come to fix every broken bone and kiss every boo-boo. I came for the sinners. Another clue, when he sends the apostles out in in chapter 3, Verse 14 is so that that, um, he sends them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons, but to preach. He didn't gather the apostles together and teach them his um, healing powers and send them out to heal. He sent them out to preach. There might be some healing. There might be some demon casting out along the way, but mainly he sent them out to preach. Another clue. I'm almost done with these clues. Down further in um, chapter 3, verses 31 through 35, Jesus' biological family come and they want to take him home. It's a bug on my notes. Not anymore. I didn't come to heal you, bug. I came to preach to you. Jesus' family wants to take him home. And he looks around at those who are around him and he says, here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. He doesn't say, here are my mother and brothers. Whoever I heal is my mother and brothers. It's those who obey, those who change, those who heed the news, heed the message, hear the sermon and respond. Incidentally, I pointed this out before. Another clue is, There's no real indication that any of these healed people joined Jesus as his disciples. You know, there was the guy on the other side of the sea who said, let me come with you. And Jesus said, no, stay here and tell folks what I've done for you. But you never hear about any of these healed people again. What you hear about are the men who were just working and Jesus came and said, hey, follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. And then they go on to carry on the work. And then the last clue, and this one's just logic. Every single person that Jesus healed eventually got sick again and died. None of those people are still alive with us today. All those physical healings were temporary. None of those physical healings were permanent. Even the little girl raised from the dead, eventually she died. Hopefully she grew to be a, you know, a woman of, of advanced age with a great family and everything, but eventually she did die. So I took you through all that because these passages about healing present a problem to us. And what you'll hear often preached from these is, if you'll have faith, you'll be healed. And the implication of that is, if you're not healed, it's because you don't have faith. But that's not true. Lots of people with faith don't get healed. You know, we're seeing the highlight reels here, but for every one healed person, there's hundreds of people who didn't get healed. See, Jesus can heal people and he might heal people. 
But his main purpose is calling people to faith in him. And sometimes he uses waiting and even allowing our worst fears to come true to bring us to faith in him. You know, the things that we're most urgently concerned about are not often the things that he's most urgently concerned about. Often we're Jairus sitting there wringing our hands because we've got this urgent concern. He's got to fix it right now. And Jesus, who knows so much more than we do, just says, just calm down. I'm doing, I'm accomplishing purposes that you can't even fathom right now. So just trust me. Don't fear, believe. He might allow us to wait. Though we may, with pure and true faith, fall to our knees at his feet and plead for a good request, like the healing of our little girl, he might allow us to wait. That's not because he can't do it, and it's not because he doesn't love us. It's because he has other purposes that don't always line up with our purposes. He might allow our worst fears to come true. But it's not because he couldn't stop it, and it's not because he doesn't love us. It's because he has deeper, more eternal purposes at work. You know, he, when he turned and talked to the woman, he said, daughter, which is another tender way to talk to this woman. She'd been bleeding for 12 years. She may have been older than Jesus. He said, daughter, your faith has made you well. He wanted her to know it's about faith. It's not about his garment. It's not about the external trappings that you think did this. It's about faith. Jairus is probably breaking down when he hears his daughter is dead. And Jesus looks to him and says, do not fear, only believe. For his interaction with Jairus, it's not about his little girl being resurrected. It's about Jairus' faith. And I think he's saying to us today, to many of us, don't fear, believe. Having faith enough to be healed is great. Having faith enough to trust and follow Jesus while you remain unhealed may be even greater. Hebrews 11 is the great chapter about faith. Many people in Hebrews 11, because of their faith, see God do miraculous things. And yet, many other people in Hebrews chapter 11, which is known as the hall of faith. They have just as strong a faith and yet they do not see miracles happen. Instead, they undergo great pain. I'll read to you verses 32 through 38. He'd just gone through several stories of great men and women of faith and how God did miracles in their lives. And he says in Hebrews eleven thirty-two, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign enemies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection, And then it turns without any mention of the fact that it's turning. And he says, some were tortured, 
refusing to accept release so that they might raise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in the skins of sheep and goats, sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Jesus is powerful and compassionate. He can heal. He can come through. He can answer that prayer just the way you want. And he's compassionate, so he he loves you. He cares about it like you care about it and more. But his main purpose is calling you to have faith in him and to follow him. Some of you are here today for all sorts of different reasons. And whatever your reasons are that brought you here today, you need to know that Jesus' reason for having you here today is to call you to trust him and to follow him. You may have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but you need not fear evil because he's with you and he's powerful and he loves you. I want to close with reading 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. Peter's writing to a church that's under a lot of persecution. There's a lot of suffering going on. And he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, I know that was an earful to hear. But basically, the outcome of faith is always going to be joy. Okay, Even if it's through the path of physical discomfort, circumstantial discomfort. Some people through their faith get circumstantial uh, peace and joy. Others through their faith get taken through a test. But either way, it all leads to Jesus Christ. And in Jesus, there's joy. Everlasting joy. Eternal joy. Joy that will last longer than even the resurrection of a 12-year-old girl. Who would one day, hopefully decades later, come to the end of her physical life again. But through faith in Jesus Christ, we know that we can have eternal life even beyond our physical death. So I do want you to have faith like Jairus and faith like the bleeding woman. But I don't want to give you this false expectation that if you do, you will definitely be healed and all problems will disappear. It's not how it works. But you can trust that Jesus is bringing about his good purposes in you. You can trust him on that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus Christ. Help him to... 
help us to behold him and trust him and follow him. Lord, let us bring our concerns, our burdens, and our pain to him like Jairus and this woman. And Lord, I ask please that you would be so gracious and merciful as to bring healing to the sick in our congregation and comfort to those in pain and resolution to those in the midst of problems and provision for those in the midst of poverty. And Lord, please do bring about all these things. But if you have something else, if you have something deeper, then we accept that because we trust your wisdom. We know Jesus is powerful. We know he's compassionate. We know that you who did not spare your own son for us would withhold no good thing and that you work all things together for our good, for those of us who are called according to your purposes and who love you. So let us go from here joyful in that, in those promises, with a joy deeper than circumstances, deeper than our physical bodies. And please root us down into this hope in Jesus Christ together. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.